Welcome to Northgate Christian Fellowship's weekly message series. And now, here is Senior Pastor Ken Jensen. So, I wanted to be one of the first to wish you all a Happy New Year, but that's already been done like three or four times this morning. So, this is my turn. Happy New Year. Yeah, brand new year, 2016 already. I was saying to my wife on, on, on New Year's Eve, it's like, I remember, it was just, wasn't it like just last year when there was a whole Y2K thing and we went from the 1900s to the 2000s? That was just like last year, wasn't it? 16 years ago that happened. It just amazes me and it seems like every year the years go by faster and faster and faster. Am I the only one that experiences that? No, actually, it's, it's actually a phenomenon that they've tried to um, scientifically study and trying to figure out why is it that as we get older, it seems like the years go by faster, the time passes faster. And there's actually been a lot of different theories, three primary theories that have come out of that. Um, the one is called the novelty theory. And it kind of goes like this, that when you're a young child, your life is full of firsts. And so there's all these first moments. And it's usually, you know, it, that first step, that learning to walk, but that takes some time. And so it's, you know, there are all of these first as you're just as you're growing up that they come and, and so you're kind of more in the moment whereas as you get older you kind of just get into routine and the routine is just going through the motions sometimes and time just seems to go by really really fast that way the other one um, it's called the proportional theory and this is the one i kind of subscribe to a little bit more it goes like this that when you're four years old one year is one quarter of your whole life when you are 60 that's like one second, you know, it is one sixtieth of your life, you know, that's why it goes by so much faster. Um, and then the last one is, um, they kind of call it the in the moment theory. And it's like this, it's that like when you're a child, you, you live in the moment that you're every, every experience, every, everything, you're just focused on that particular moment. But as we get older, life becomes a lot more complex, a lot more busy. Um, we find ourselves multitasking and feeling like we're not doing anything really well, but we're doing a lot more stuff. And it just seems that the, that stress and that pressure, actually, there was an article I read not too long ago in Scientific American that they say that it's, it's the pressures and all of the many tasks that we have to do that we're feeling like there's not enough time to do everything. And that's why everything goes by so much faster as you get older. So I don't know which of those you subscribe to, but I do know, I think that last one, I think that last one is the one thing that keeps people from making New Year's resolutions. Because a New Year's resolution is just one more thing that has to go on my to-do list, okay? I know that's the reason why I don't make New Year's resolutions. I've just kind of given up on that whole idea. So today, as we start 2016, I am not going to add to your to-do list. In fact, as we head into this new year, I'm going to invite you to something different. We're going to be talking today and for the next four weeks, five weeks, about margin, about finding space and in your life for the things that really, truly matter. And, and we need that in all kinds of different areas of our lives. What I want to invite you to is to rest. And I want to start with Jesus' words. They're found in Matthew 11. It's actually just three sentences long. If you want to turn there, it's Matthew 11, verses 28 through 30. These are the words of Jesus. Come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Doesn't that sound wonderful? Just that word, rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. 
For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Doesn't that just sound wonderful? Wouldn't you like to live that way? I mean, when, in Christmas time, we did a whole series um, through John's gospel and, and the different descriptions of, of Jesus and what he, what he was to the world. And one of them was that he is the life. And the idea behind that is for each of us to come to a place where we, we really begin to believe that Jesus knew what he was talking about, that he knows what the best life possible is, and that he has made it available to us. And as we head into 2016, that is absolutely crucial to this whole idea of margin. It's believing, believing that Jesus really did know what he was talking about. And the life that he invited us to really is the best possible life to the point that we are willing to entrust our lives to him, every aspect of our lives. Now, if you're here and you're not a Christ follower yet, and maybe you've never been in church, this is the first time you set foot in church or first time in a very, very long time, and you're not sure what you believe about Jesus or about the Bible or about God or any of that, um, I'm still glad you're here because truth is truth. And even if you are not a Christ follower, the things that we're going to be talking about today and over the next five weeks is, is going to be applicable to your life. So I encourage you, even if you're not quite there to say, hey, I'm putting my faith and trust in Jesus, if you would just take some of these principles, some of the things that we have in Scripture about this idea of margin, it will make for a better life. It makes it much better when you put your faith and trust in him. But this is a starting point for you, and I hope it'll be that for you as well. So, And here's one more thing I'm going to say. If you are not a part of a community group, the benefits of what we're going to be talking about in the next five weeks are going to be so much more magnified if you are a part of one of those groups. Because it's in our community groups that we take the things that we talk about on Sunday morning, the passages that we look at in Scripture, and we kind of get down to nitty-gritty real life. This is where I'm at. And there's something about doing life together around the Word of God in groups of 10 to 12 to 14 people, which is what our community groups are all about, because it will help you start putting these things into your life. Um, It'll provide a support network for you. It will provide accountability for you. And believe me, I know one of the reasons people don't join small groups is that accountability thing, because then I'm going to be accountable. Yeah, no, I don't want anybody to hold me accountable. I just want to kind of float my way through. But you are going to get the maximum benefit out of this if you become a part of a community group. So if you are not a member of one of our community groups, if you're not a part, at least for the next five weeks, can I encourage you to just give it a try? Plug into a community group. See how much it will help you put this stuff into practice. You can stop by the community group table out in the lobby. Uh, You can check it on your communication card. But get into a group for at least the next five weeks because you're going to find the maximum benefit from doing this together with other people. So with that in mind, this is what we're going to talk about today, beginning with this whole idea of margin. What is it? What difference does it make in my life? And and why do I need it? Okay. So I want to start with this first truth kind of a definition, really, of what margin is. Margin is the space between your load and your limits. That's the best definition I can give you of it. Margin is the space between your load and your limits. And it starts with recognizing that we all have limits. We all have limits. Jesus started with these words. He said, come to me, you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Now, 
weary and burdened, okay, that's, that's a pretty good description, but it doesn't really fully convey the depth of those words in their original language, which is Greek. Um, the, our New Testament was written originally in the Greek language, so what we have is translation. And so the best way to kind of describe or, or, or translate it, they come up with is uh, weary and burdened, but really, more literally, it would carry the idea of, come to me, you who are exhausted and overloaded, okay? So, like how many of you would say, yeah, I'm a little weary and burdened? How many would say, I am exhausted and overloaded? <laughs> All right, I'm glad you're here today, because that's what we're going to be talking about. It's real. See, being exhausted and being overloaded means that you are pushing the limits. In fact, you have probably exceeded the limits, and we all have these limits. Now, he specifically is talking to a group of people, and he's talking about the religious burdens of, of, of unrealistic expectations that the scribes and the Pharisees put on people. There was this whole idea of, of keeping to the law. But see, it cuts across every aspect of your life because that's what the law covered. It wasn't just about religious practices. It was about all of life. And so when he's talking about those who are exhausted and overloaded, weary and burdened, he is talking to people that are, if there is any aspect of your life that you are on overload, that you are just exhausted from, that is just beyond you and you feel like you are pushing the limits or maybe even exceeding the limits, this is for you. Because that's what he's talking about. We all have limitations, and we have them in every aspect of our life. There are physical limitations. Back in the 1950s, it was believed nobody would ever break the four-minute mile, that that was kind of like a limit, that nobody's going to be able to run faster, run a mile faster than four minutes. And then a guy named Roger Bannister broke that in three minutes, 59 point something something seconds. He barely cracked it, but he cracked the four-minute mile. Since then, it has gone down a little bit more. Uh, the current record for the mile is 3 minutes, 43.13 seconds. So it's come down another, what, 17 seconds or so, okay? But at some point, there is going to be a limitation. We're not sure. We thought it was at the four-minute mark. It's going to get lower than that. But at some point, it's going to be a limit that nobody's going to surpass. I can guarantee you, nobody will run the mile in one second, Okay? <laughs> So no matter how low it gets, it's not going to beat that one. I'm pretty confident in that. There are physical limitations. There are only so many cars that will fit on a lane in freeway traffic. <laughs> Even though people try to squeeze more in there, the lane will only hold so many cars at a certain speed for any length of time. Yeah, there's a limitation to it. You have physical limits in your body. There are also relational limits. It doesn't matter how many Facebook friends you have, okay? It doesn't matter if you got thousands of people following you on Twitter, okay? The truth of the matter is, for an average person, your limit of relationships, acquaintances, people that you actually do life with is probably around 150 people. And that's just acquaintances. If you get down to really close friendships, the number drops to somewhere between 6 and 12, that nobody can, can uh, maintain close personal relationships with more, any more than 6 to 12 people. You've, you've got relational limits. You have financial limits. You might have blown them all at Christmas season, but you have financial limits. We tried to impress this on our children when they were growing up, and they wanted to do something. They said, well, we can't really afford that. Or they wanted to buy something. They said, well, we can't afford that right now. Their answer was, well, just go to the ATM. Because there's this magical machine at the bank, and you put a card in, and it spits out money. They didn't understand the concept that you have to have money in that bank to be able to draw money out of it. You've got limitations. And any time in any area of your life that you are pushing those limits, 
and your load is up to or exceeding your limits, you have no margin. And what it ultimately leads to is burnout. We lose margin. And here's the thing. Maintaining margin is constant. Because just like driving on the freeway, you know you're supposed to keep that buffer of, what is it, one car length for every 10 miles of per hour that you're traveling, and you try to keep a six and a half car length you know, distance between you and the car, because if they slam on their brakes, you need to have braking space, okay? That's margin, okay? But just like on the freeway, there are always people trying to squeeze into your margin. You're going to find that in every area of your life. It takes constant vigilance, because there will always be people, there will always be things, there will always be interruptions that will use up that margin. You need to make some space between your load and your limits. When we push the limits, we're at great risk. Jesus understood this. He made sure that he had reserves. When he had, was so busy and, and, and uh, involved in ministry, he made time for him and his disciples. There's an account that's written about in Mark's gospel, chapter 6. Mark writes this, he says, because so many people were coming and going that they did not, Jesus and his disciples, did not even have a chance to eat, Jesus said to them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. Now, I just want to point out, a place of rest is on a boat. That's biblical. And I am doing my best to live a biblical life, all right? Now, it may not be a boat for you, but you need to be able to carve out space and time in your schedule. Because like I said, when we live marginless lives, we put ourselves at great risk. See, what happens is that we start skimming. We start skimming through life. We start skimming in our relationships, and they keep, we keep them pretty superficial and surfacy. We start skimming. When we, when we run out of emotional reserves, we start skimming. And what happens is we lose our compassion and our care about other people. We start skimming in our spiritual lives. And we start living superficially with God. And what that does is it makes us extremely vulnerable to sin. Because when you are pushing the limits and you've used up all of those reserves and you're constantly living out, there are seasons, okay? There are seasons where you kind of push the limits a lot, okay? But when you live a lifestyle that's in the red line, when, it's, when your whole life is pushing the limits or overload, that leaves you vulnerable to sin because what happens is you are so stressed, you are so pressured, you are so um, under the gun all the time that any little break, any little bit of feel-good becomes much more enticing to you. So you put yourself at risk. When you have no margin, when there's no space between your load and your limit, you have no reserves. So that when the crisis hits, when the emergency happens, it pushes you over the edge. So it starts with this whole idea. Recognize that you've got limits. And margin is the space between your limits and your load. Now, second thing is that margin is knowing the difference between your responsibilities and God's. Because that's the other aspect. Much of our problem with marginless living comes from trying to control the things that we have no control over. That, that's really what happens is, um, you ever watch uh, field goal kicker after he's kicked the ball? 
I, yesterday, there was a special um, that I was watching on the Buffalo Bills. There are four attempts at winning a Super Bowl. And um, I don't know if you remember way, way back. This was back in the 90s. But um, the very first time they were in the Super Bowl, it came down to a field goal kick. And it was pretty much a chip shot. And this guy had made this, this kick every time, you know, all season long. Came down to it. He kicked the ball. And for some reason, instead of kind of breaking a little bit to the left and going through the uprights, it broke to the right. And they ended up losing the Super Bowl on that last play. And you watch the, you watch the carry as he kicked it. He's bending. He's trying to bend the ball back into the goal. In fact, they actually had a sideline shot. Marv Levy was the coach at the time. He's on the sideline, and he's bending. Everybody, the whole team is bending this way, and the ball is going that way. They have no control over that ball once it's kicked. I find myself sometimes as I watch Niner games, and it's been a rough year. And I'm just hoping they're going to get a first down. And I'm watching whoever the, whoever the uh, running back of the day is. You know, and he comes up and he's, got, you know, he's only got two yards to go. And, I'm, and he comes up against the wall. And I'm, I'm trying to push him across the line from my sofa. You know, I have no bearing on whether he's going to make it or not. Your body English isn't going to determine whether that kick goes through the uprights or not. And much of our life... We are trying to control things that are beyond our control, and that's why we get so frustrated. That's why we get so stressed. I love this quote from Anne Lamott. She said, the difference between you and God is that he doesn't think he's you. (laughs) And that's a good part of our problem. There are things beyond our control that are only in God's hands, but we're trying to control them. We've, we've done this a couple of times, but it, it bears repeating. In fact, particularly as we start 2016, I'd like you to repeat after me. There is a God, is a God. and it is not me. Is not me. Okay, I'll let that sink in. <laughs> Try it again. There is a God, is a God. and it is, it is not me. That will save you all kinds of stress this coming year. If you can just remember that fact, there are things that are beyond your control. Now, there are things that are in your control, and there are things that you are responsible for. So you need to take responsibility for the things that you're responsible for. But you also need to understand that there are things that are totally beyond your control, and they are in God's hands. When I forget that, what happens is it leads to stress and frustration Anger, depression, because I'm trying to control stuff that is totally out of my control. Jesus gave us the example for life. He said, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. Now, again, let me explain those words because, in fact, actually, if you have a King James Bible, it says, I am meek and lowly of heart, which kind of gives this idea of, of being kind of milk toasty, you know, just kind of a little weakling. But that's not what the word really conveys. What it conveys this idea is a confident trust in my heavenly father that no matter what the circumstances, he is still in control. It is, it is the strength to not have to assert my will on a situation, but to take the responsibility and to trust that God will take care of the results because the results are beyond your control. Outcomes are beyond my control. It is the hardest thing as a pastor to remember because as a pastor, I I want people to make all the right decisions, but I realize I can't control any choice that you, I can barely control the choices I make. (laughs) You, You are gonna make your own decisions. 
You're going to make your own choices. And, and I would love for everybody to make all the right choices. I can, I can teach people. I can guide people. I can counsel people. I can give advice. But everybody's going to make their own choices. And I've got to be able to step back and say, that is not my responsibility. And you've got to be able to say in your own life, there are certain things that I can control, but there's some things that are just not my responsibility, and I can't control them anyway. This is how Jesus lived his life. In John 5, another one of these arguments he is having with the religious leaders, he said to them this, my father is always at work to this very day, and I too am working. But look at what he goes on and says, the son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees his father doing because whatever the father does, the son does also. In his humanity, in his life and ministry on this earth, this is how Jesus lived. Jesus did not heal everybody. Jesus did not cure every disease. He said, my father is at work, and I am so confident in what he is doing and what he's called me to do that I only do what he has called me to do. That's a good way to live our lives, to just learn to listen to the directions of our Heavenly Father, to learn from Scripture the principles for living, and then just live that way and leave the results up to Him. Here's the thing you need to understand. God is the author of your limits. Whatever limits you have, whatever your limitations, God is the author of them, and He gave them to you to remind you to trust in him. There are only so many things that you can do. You cannot do everything, which means that you and I have to make a choice about the things that we do. And, and so what our goal should be is to choose wisely, to understand, I only have so much money. I only have so much time. I only have so much availability. I only have so much emotional reserves. I've only got so much of any of these things. And so I need to choose wisely how I use those things, and then leave the results up to God. He doesn't promise that our life is going to be pain-free or stress-free or problem-free. What he promises us is rest. But it comes from learning to trust him, that the results and the outcomes are going to be his responsibility, not mine. And then the last one is that margin makes the difference between performance and fulfillment. One of the questions you need to ask yourself, one of the questions I have to ask myself all the time is, what is it that drives me to marginless living? Why do I find myself keep slipping back into that mode? Because that's the real root of thing. And here's the thing I've discovered for me, pretty much, pretty much the driving force that drives me into marginless living is performance mode. It's worrying too much about other people's opinions about me or trying to live up to other people's expectations. I think that is the single thing that, that drives me more than anything else. It's what pushes me to that marginless living, is what other people are going to think about me, or what other people's expectations are of me. I told the story a couple of months ago. Um, I've been running now for about four or five years. I just needed to have some regular exercise regimen, so I'm as regular as I can make it. 
because I'm not crazy about it, but it's what I can do. So anyway, uh, I told the, a couple of months ago the story about how um, there's, I, we live on a, on a hill, and so I can either start my run uphill and finish with the downhill or start downhill and finish with an uphill. So I, one day I was going down, I had started with the downhill, and I hadn't been running for a couple of weeks at that point, and so I was easing back in. So I started with the downhill run, got down to the flat space, did my run down around there, and came back. I had nothing left, so I started walking up the hill. But as, and I do it early in the morning when it's still kind of dark so nobody can see me. Um, and so I'm walking, I'm just exhausted, so I'm just walking that last stretch up the hill to our house, and I see a pair of headlights start coming down the hill, and the minute I saw them coming, I just started running again, you know, because <laughs> I didn't want anybody to think I was a walker, I was a runner kind of a thing, so, and, and when, you know, I told that story a couple months ago, and it was like, it was either, it was the very next week, if not the very next day, same thing, ran that course, finished coming on the uphill, saw some headlights, car coming down, because, you know, here again, I'm okay, I'm not going to give into that, I'm not going to give into that, so I didn't. I didn't start the running thing to fake like I'd been running all along, but here's what I did. Because <sighs> I wanted to know, I may not be running now, but I was running a little while ago. <laughs> See, it is so ingrained in me. I just, I, I just care too much about what I, and I have no idea who was driving that car, and they have no idea who I was. That is the thing, that's probably the single greatest thing that drives me to marginless living. I don't know what it is for you, but you got to figure out. Because it is the thing, it, it'll be a, it, you will never, you'll never get this margin back into your life. Let you figure out what is it that drives you into marginless living. See, when you start performing for everybody else, you, you lose fulfillment. Because Jesus didn't please everybody. In fact, in fact, listen to what he said. He said, you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now, that easy, that, that's, that's an important word, too, because it's, he's not saying it's going to be stress-free, problem-free, pain-free. That's not what easy means. Um, it's really a carpentry term. And I know this from my years working for my dad, but, but in carpentry, when you ease, like if you've got, uh, if you're building a cabinet or, or, or furniture or something like that, um, you don't want to leave the sharp edges. You kind of, you sand the corners down just a little bit. You ease them. That's what it's called. And it's so that they're not dangerous, okay? That nobody gets, you know, torn up by walking by that piece of furniture or whatever it is. And, and Jesus, who worked in his father's carpenter shop for about 30 years before he started his ministry, he knew that term. And actually, the yokes of the day were made of wood. And so when he says, my yoke is easy, what he's saying is, I've shaved off the hard parts. I've, I've, I've smoothed out the rough edges. It fits you. And that's the whole idea when he talks about my yoke is easy. He says it fits you. Because here's what you got to understand. Your limits are different than anybody else's. And there are some people who have higher capacity than you. And there are some people who have lower capacity than you. But to find how the yoke fits you is to know where your limits are and to live within them and keep that margin there. That's what he's saying. 
Because like I said, Jesus himself didn't please everybody. In fact, he, he said these words. On the, if you read all of Matthew chapter 11, if you read the context of the whole thing, it happens after a series of events. It starts in the beginning of chapter 11 with the disciple, one of the disciples of John coming to Jesus. John the Baptist has now been imprisoned because of, of his ministry um, by King Herod. King Herod didn't like the things that John was saying. And, and so he's been put in prison. And John, who is in prison, who spent his whole life talking about the coming Messiah, now has some doubts about it. So he sends one of his disciples to Jesus to ask him, are you the Messiah that, that, was, that I was been talking about, or should we expect someone else? Jesus has somehow not lived up to the expectations of John the Baptist. It also comes then shortly after that, where he talks about he had just been um, pretty much run out of his hometown. And he talks about all these other cities where he had tried to do ministry, but they wouldn't receive him. And then on the heels of that, just before these words, he's in this debate with the, the, the religious leaders of the time, questioning him and challenging him about who he is and what his authority is. And what he's saying there is, listen, listen, you're not going to ever be ever able to please Everybody. In fact, just before this, he writes, he said these words. It says, John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say, he has a demon. The son of man came eating and drinking, and they say, here's a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. He says, listen, listen. John the Baptist came with his ministry, and they said he was demon-possessed. I come along with my ministry, and they call me a drunkenard, a glutton, and a friend of tax collectors and sinners. He said, if you're going to live to the applause of other people, you're never going to be happy. You will never be fulfilled because there will always be somebody who doesn't think you're doing enough or, or, or not doing it right or whatever. We made, I made a commitment to this church in the first couple of years when we were probably a group of about 25 to 30 people. And I stood on a Sunday morning and said, listen, I'm going to make an agreement with you. You don't have to perform for me. And I will not perform for you. Because this church is not going to be about performance. We are all people in process, and we are all people at different stages in that process, and our job is to help encourage each other along. And it's not about performance. It's about God's grace. Amen. Now, I wish I could say I have lived by that 100% of the time. I have not, because I got this problem with people-pleasing you know, over here. Okay? But, but that's the truth. There will always be critics to your walk. There will always be critics to your run. There will always be critics who say you're not doing enough or you're not doing it right. And if you are living to please other people, you will never find fulfillment. It will be a lot of performance, but it will not be any fulfilling. You need to find your limits. You need to be comfortable with the fact that you are not God and you are not responsible for every outcome. And you need to be able to live in the confidence that if you are pleasing God, He's the only one that matters. <coughs> Jesus did not promise a life that would be pain-free, problem-free, stress-free. But what he did promise was rest. And in the next couple of weeks, we're going to talk about what that looks like in different areas of your life. But today, I just want to end with the words of Jesus. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your soul. Do you bow your heads? So the question is, what is it that is driving you to marginless living? 
What is it that keeps pushing you into this? this see, margin, margin doesn't happen overnight. And it takes constant vigilance. But you can today, you can start with a decision. And it's simply an acknowledgement, God, I am not in control. And I am living at the limits. And there are parts of my life, areas of my life, that, that I am on overload. And I am stressed, and I am frustrated, I'm irritated, I'm angry, I'm depressed, whatever it might be. Those are all the indicators of overload. What I want to invite you to do this morning is to simply acknowledge that. And whatever area it might be in your life, maybe it's more than one, but maybe just pick one right now and just say, Lord, I'm going to let go of the controls on this one. I'm going to be responsible where I'm responsible, but I'm going to let go of the controls. And I'm going to create some space in the next five or six weeks. I'm going to create some space, some reserves. And I can't do this on my own. I'm going to need your help, but today I'm making the decision to start that process. If that describes you in any area of your life that's out of control, that's overwhelming, that's, that's stress-filled, and you just want to take a first step, a decision towards margin, would you just raise your hand and hold it up for a moment? Let me see and acknowledge you. Catch my eye. Yeah, 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 yes, yes, yeah, yeah. maybe you're here today and maybe for you it's this first step of faith you've been pretty much living your life your way doing it your way and you're reaping the results of that and maybe that's what brought you here for this first Sunday of the new year to find an answer to that you can't enter that rest Jesus Christ came and lived that life here but then what he did was he went to the cross and took upon himself the weight of the world the weight of your sin, your mistakes, your failures, your stress, all of that stuff, he took it on himself so that you could put your weight on him. <clears throat> and that's really what faith is all about. It's just taking that step to trust him to let go of those controls. And you can do that for the very first time this morning. If you've never done it before, maybe you've already raised your hand, but, but today it's, it's a first step of faith for you. Would you do the same thing? Just raise your hand, hold it up for a moment, catch my eye because I want to pray with you and for you specifically as we close. Anybody? All right. Yeah. Okay. Now I'm going to invite you to just make this your prayer. Whether it's a first time or a renewal or a new area of your life, it's just simply the same. It's, Lord, here I am with my faults, with my weaknesses, with my limitations. I have at times exceeded those, and it's led me into sin, it's led me into rebellion, it's led me into um, stress, it's led me into disappointment. But today, today, as I start this new year, I'm starting fresh with you. And whether it's a first time or renewal, Lord, this prayer is the same. I am willing to let go and turn over the controls to you, because I'm not really in control of this anyway. I need your forgiveness, I need your grace, I need your mercy, I need you to show me how to live this life. This year, I want to follow you wholeheartedly. Show me as I take this first step today. In Jesus' name, amen.
Thank you for listening to this week's message. We trust that you'll join us again soon for another uplifting message from Northgate Christian Fellowship located in Venetia, California. You may